Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Um, we have another brave couple that's um, stepped forward willing to share their story. My friends Brandon and Elizabeth Carded. Oh, I didn't do your name last name right. Tell us how to say your last name. Cardenas. Cardenas. I practiced it, listeners, beforehand. It's not a hard name. Cardenas. And um, they're joining us via Zoom from their home in Medford, Oregon. Beautiful place that I've been to a couple times. Um, They're going to share their story. Brandon identifies as gay. Elizabeth is straight. They're an LDS couple um, and a wonderful marriage, raising children, committed to the gospel, committed to each other. And um, we've done a few of these type of podcasts, and I just think these stories are really helpful because there are other Latter-day Saints walking this road privately, maybe just out to each other and others that are sharing it more broadly. But these stories help other people feel they're not alone and other people to realize this is a possible path for them. Um, This is a valid, authentic, in spite of what society sometimes says, I've learned this is a valid, authentic path. Um, Before I had some couples in mixed orientation marriages, listeners, I thought all these marriages failed because all I was aware of was a couple that failed and they kind of became um, big stories. And so I just assumed they all failed. And then in one of the biggest rebukes of the Spirit, when I was doing a podcast with the Rojas, I just thought, this is a beautiful, valid, wonderful marriage. And who am I to judge the um, strength and commitment and love in another marriage? So that's a little bit of my own repentance (laughs) as I'm trying to learn this space. But the real, um, anyway, Brandon and Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And um, Brandon, they're both in the 30s. I may have said that. Brandon served a mission in um, Cleveland, Ohio. But as I visited with them, I asked them how many kids they had. And tell us, um, Elizabeth, what's going on in that department in your family? Well, we have four kids um, and we have two more on the way. We have twin boys that are due in September. So take us back to your um, kind of probably, I assume, was a routine ultrasound you've Having four pregnancies, you've had a lot of ultrasounds. Tell us if Brandon was there, how many yeah. weeks and how this all went down. Just wow. Yeah, we um, we have four kids and usually, you know, this is old hat. So he doesn't usually, <laughs> but I was feeling kind of nervous. And so he came with me and it was just a 10 week dating the pregnancy ultrasound. And I walked in and was like, I just want there to be one baby and I want there to be a heartbeat and that'll be great. Um, and so anyway, the doctor put the, you know, uh, ultrasound thing on my stomach and he said, oh, okay, there's one baby and there's the other. And Brandon was like, are you kidding? He's like, we don't kid about that in here. <laughs> so wow. I think it probably took us, what, two, three months to like process Yeah. And we were really excited. Uh, We told everybody, uh, anybody, random strangers, we told them, oh, wow, you're uh, crazy. And, uh, but it was, it was good. Yeah. And this, this brings you to six kids. Now, once these boys are born, how many boys, how many girls? We'll have three girls and three boys. uh, We got a, I guess it's, Oh, it's the oldest now. I'm like blank. <laughs> so 10, she'll be 11 in September. She actually um, 
was excited to have twin boys in her birthday month, but uh, she asked me to take her on a cruise for her birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, um, we've got a eight-year-old daughter, a six-year-old son, and um, a three-year-old girl. So it's pretty good. I could never get the ages right. We have six kids and I'd kind of look at my wife when people ask us the age of the kids at the birthdays. Um, so good job and congratulations on six kids, 11, 10 and under and on twins that I think you want to, um, your 31 weeks as we're recording this, you want to go to 36 weeks. Um, I asked Brandon, I asked you this question where you went live. Um, tell our listeners why you, not a, why you feel it's um, you'd like to share your story with listeners about being a gay Latter-day Saint and a mixed orientation marriage. Well, in the beginning, it was a very, um, it was this deep secret that I couldn't share with anybody. And um, growing up, uh, I just, I just wanted to keep that part of me where no one would, would know. Um, and as I've grown up in the gospel and kind of understand the atonement more, I've come to realize that, you know, this is a part of me that is just as special as anything else a part of me. And I um, wanted to just kind of be more authentic and um, I, I don't have to, I don't have to hide. I don't have to keep that shame anymore. So um, as I listen to others on the podcast, I, felt more courage to come out more into the open. It's great. It's really brave of you, but I sent you a great piece on who you are and accepted that. And um, so th- that's it kind of for an introduction, listeners. We've got a little bit of overview of Brandon's story and the excitement of twins. And um, we know you're in your 30s and live in Medford, but I'll just kind of turn it over to you to share your story. All right. Thank you. So I was born and raised in Redding, California, specifically a small town uh, called Cottonwood. My father was a former Navy SEAL. He converted from Catholicism and my mother was born in the covenant. They were married in the Oakland Temple. Um, I am the oldest son of seven children. I have three brothers and three sisters. Uh, My oldest sister, I have always looked up to her. I remember emulating her behavior when I was younger. At some point, it was pointed out to me I shouldn't be emulating a girl. And uh, gender roles kind of was something new to me. Just kind of like I was to beware of feminine mannerisms growing up. Um, I was born in the covenant, raised in the church. I loved going to church and going to primary. I remember my mom was serving in the primary at one point. I felt special. She was able to lead the music. Um, Growing up in the church, I never doubted the truthfulness of the gospel. I always had a strong testimony of the power of prayer, Prophet Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon. I remember my father baptizing me and confirming me a member of the church and inviting me to receive the Holy Ghost. And I felt that warmth from the crown of my head to my toes. And that core memory helped serve me as I grew and struggled with future issues. Um, just that, that core memory of, of feeling the Holy Ghost that day. People in the church would often say dis- 
disparaging things about gay people. And I was able to separate the difference between them and their opinion and the gospel and its truth. Wow. I was deeply rooted in the gospel of Christ and, and my personal testimony. Um, as I grew older, I was about nine and 10. It's just like a little background on kind of personality. I, I wanted to do things myself. So I, I went to start cooking an egg. My mom came over and I was like, oh, let me help you. She taught me how to cook. Um, but I, I really got into baking as, as a kid. And baking was my passion growing up. Uh, after church, I'd practice making cookies and cakes. I would often share the desserts with our neighbor, who was a very conservative rancher, uh, former bishop. And he said, wow, Brandon, these are pretty good. You'll make a great wife one day. Wow. That hurt. I was I was pretty embarrassed. I was angry uh, when he said that, but I didn't say anything. Um, I just, you know, I thought, why, why can't young men fake, you know? What's the matter with that? Agreed. Um, in middle school, I started to recognize I was attracted to the same gender. I would be careful not to look too long in the locker room at gym class. Uh, I started feeling different around others. Um, and, and again, Cottonwood, California was very conservative. Nobody talked about LGBT issues unless it was in a negative context. Um, the, it was like gay people were bad, selfish, deviants. Um, I, I specifically remember hearing that from one of my church friend's mom. Um, and I realized that I could never let anyone know this was a part of who I was, or I experienced these same gender feelings. I push, I would push this down deep within myself and keep it a secret. Uh, freshman in high school, I enrolled in drama class, and one of the senior girls in the class asked me if I was gay. I immediately say, "No, I, no, I'm not." What? What? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> That was an awkward moment, and I realized I needed to hide more of my mannerisms to act more masculine. Uh, I, I tried researching this. The internet was fairly new, um, and I searched gay men online trying to understand what, what it meant to be gay. I quickly found out that when you type something like that in a web browser, uh, it comes up with pretty uh, questionable websites. And I ended up getting addicted to pornography a little bit in high school, off and on. Um, through that struggle, uh, it was off and on. My mom was really a support. Um, we would have some really deep, encouraging uh, just talks. And she really encouraged me to get back on track. And of course, I, I, I am a I mean you could read the guilt on my face it's very <laughs> anytime I, I struggled with um any kind of issues growing up I just had this I have to go repent you know so I I worked with the bishop throughout you know high school and um anytime I was struggling and uh, uh although I struggled with this one of my bishops, his name was Bishop Sargent. He was a good bishop. He, he didn't, I didn't feel judged by him. Um, he, he made the gospel very um, 
I mean, very black and white though. And, um, you know, I felt like if I didn't get a handle on this, I was definitely going to hell. So, um, that there was kind of some shame there, but I, you know, I still worked through it. I still knew the gospel was true. The church, you know, was the right path for me. So through that process, I, I just focused on the next covenant, focused on the next ordination. I focused on getting my next, um, you know, patriarchal blessing. When I was a teenager, I would frequent state dances. And during that time, I actually met my first girlfriend, Sylvia, there. We initially became pen pals. And uh, we would write letters to each other. I handwritten letters back and forth. It'd be exciting to get something in the mail, you know, back then. Um, it was very innocent relationship. I uh, never got the courage to kiss her. She was so sweet and patient with me. She, she was an artist. Um, after attending an EFY session one summer, though, I called and, and met with her. And I asked her if we could meet. We were about 45 minutes away from each other. She asked if we were breaking up, and I said, well, uh, the, the prophet commanded us not to study day. And I just like thinking back on that, I think, oh, how naive you were, Brandon, like so innocent. I didn't even realize at the time we hadn't gotten to study yet. <laughs> um, kind of at the same time, again, I talked about my sister being just one of the great role models in my life. And uh, she ended up going, joining the Navy after high school. And that devastated me. I missed her so much. I didn't understand that appeal of her joining the military. Uh, but my dad was in the military and, uh, you know, she looked up to him a lot. Um, so did I, but we weren't that close. I was definitely a mama's boy. Um, <laughs> uh, I became closer with my younger sister, Maria. And we enjoyed going to the movies and spending time together. Uh, after graduating high school, I really struggled with the decision to go on a mission. How would it be living? Uh, how would it be to be living with the guy 24-7? Would I be attracted to my companion? Uh, some of those were a lot of fears that I, I had in my mind. Um, I stayed, I lived in the North Valley, Reading, Cottonwood area um, after high school. And uh, still trying to like figure out what I was going to do with my life next. There was a church bookstore owned by some members of our ward. And while I was in there one day, I saw the book In Quiet Desperation by Fred and Marilyn Mattis and Ty Mansfield. I bought the book and I hid it while I secretly read it at home. It was helpful and the beginning of a journey to love and accept who I was. During this time, I was also still trying to connect with this part of me, and that was confusing and conflicting with faith. I joined an email group online called LDS SGA uh, Men. It was a Yahoo men's group, and it was just a bunch of men in an email group, I think 18 and older, trying to connect and support each other. There was an email group message that would go around. Some members in the group posted their locations and their profile. I, being curious, noticed one group member was in my stake, and I reached out and met the member in person. 
it was awkward. And I remember he was around 32 and I was 18 at the time. The age gap for me was kind of a big thing and it was hard to connect or relate for me at the time. I was uncomfortable during a couple of meetings and just felt like I needed to, to run away. And so I did. I, uh, I left. I, my, my grandparents had been living in Reading at the time, uh, my mom's parents, and they decided to move to Tremont in Utah. So I asked to go with them. I moved to Utah and stayed with them a total of seven months. We watched British comedies every night and Perry Mason, and I quickly learned he would win every time. <laughs> I killed my social life. I, I didn't have any more friends. I was hanging out with my grandparents at night. They didn't even have a freezer to keep ice cream on hand. And I missed my family immensely. During that time, um, was was a hard couple of years. I, I wasn't partaking of the sacrament. I felt like I wasn't worthy if I wasn't perfect. I attended church with my grandparents. I realized after um, that was a false belief. Um, I met with the bishop and told him my experience seemed gender attraction in that northern Utah ward. Uh, now, mind you, I moved from conservative northern California to ultra conservative <laughs> northern Utah. You were funny. <laughs> <laughs> And he just looked at me like, I have no idea what to do with you. <laughs> he couldn't help me. And he didn't know, he didn't give me any advice. He just said, go talk to this guy in Logan. He runs a support group with this issue. And so I did. I called and met this gentleman, a uh, member of the church over there. I remember going to see him in Logan and he was a president of some local bank. And I went into his work upstairs. He invited me to come to his office. It was a huge office. I introduced myself and he invited me to come to the support group. So the group met weekly. That was, that was helpful. Uh, I learned this experience was just a part of me and didn't have to define my life on my experience with SSA or change my whole lifestyle because my sexuality wasn't the norm in the church. At one point, I wrote a letter to my grandparents while I was living with them, explaining I was struggling with these feelings and I was going to a support group in Logan. I remember my grandka Marriott, we called her grandka because she was grandma Kathleen, talking to me about when I got, or she talked to me when I got home. Uh, she found the letter and she said, I'm sorry you have to experience this in this life. And she expressed love for me. And we didn't say anything after that ever again. <clears throat> um, I worked in Utah full time at a grocery store. And in my spare time, I joined a community theater. I was in a couple of plays, Barefoot in the Park, Fiddler on the Roof. My, parent, my grandparents were supportive and they'd come to the plays. During that time, again, I was trying to connect with uh, people in the community, uh, the LGBT community. I met a man, a young man um, named Andrew from that online Yahoo group. He lived in Woods Cross, Utah. We met in Willard, Utah one afternoon. I remember he reached out and held my hand and it was exciting and scary. I, I met him in secret and shame. I remember feeling like a magnet that the way they uh repel each other sometimes if you yeah 
Um, so I wanted to connect with them more, but anyways, I pushed through the, the uncomfortable and anxious feeling. I basically entered a secret relationship. I was getting lots of attention from Andrew. We would try to see each other often. He was my first kiss. Uh, I was 19 at the time. He was 20. Uh, he lived at home and his brother was definitely homophobic. He would make fun of his, he would make fun of Andrew. And I went over to his house a few times and he would just say some really derogatory things to his brother. I think his whole family must've known about his sexuality. Um, and his mom worked at the University of Utah in Salt Lake. We met for lunch. I remember him lying to her about how we met. Um, and I wasn't going to tell the truth either, you know. <laughs> um, but I remember she looked at me with such skepticism and I felt awful. I got the feeling she was trying to fix him or prevent him from being gay. Uh, one point in our relationship while I was in Woods Cross, Bountiful area, I remember looking up at the Bountiful Temple and it seemed to zoom out and I felt so unworthy. I thought to myself, I am so far away from that temple and I felt so much shame and guilt. Uh, again, I was getting to a point where I was scared and I felt like I needed to run again. So I decided to move back to California and move back in with my parents. Uh, I wanted to be sure I didn't do anything that would prevent me from serving a mission. I had fears about going, but I didn't also want to be disqualified from one. This was my mindset at the time and I didn't really understand the atonement or repentance process. So I returned to Northern California and I worked with uh, my bishop there at the time. His name was Bishop Brett Renolfson. He was such an amazing bishop and he explained, or I explained I was in a same-sex relationship. I remember him saying at the time, well, you've about 60% chance you probably won't serve a mission. Which was funny, he gave me a number, but, um, you know, I was pretty bummed and I, I told my parents and they were devastated. I felt odd. I felt awful. Uh, yet I missed Andrew a lot. Um, anyways, working with the Bishop, I drew closer to the savior, Jesus Christ. After a while, I started to realize that while I was in Utah, I felt like that path that I was on was like a giant rubber band, uh, or, or rather the temple covenant my parents made was like the protection of a giant rubber band yanking me back, if that makes sense. Um, I, I needed my family and that safe space. At one point, Bishop Renolfson invited me to serve a mission. I told him in my patriarchal blessing, it said if I had a desire to serve, I would serve, but I didn't desire, so I guess that settles it. I'm not going. And he said, well, why don't you um, pray for the desire to, to serve? I thought, dang it, he's going to make, the, the Lord's going to answer my prayer, though, if I pray. <laughs> um, so anyways, I, I prayed to go. I started getting the desire to go serve a mission. Uh, but I wanted to be sure that I was going for the right reasons and I was worthy to serve. My brother, Colin, was already preparing to go. He was such a good example to me. He's, he's a year and a half younger than me. 
I gained so much confidence um, that he was able to serve. He was called to the Goiânia Brazil mission. And on his mi- he was on his mission for about 18 months before I left. He was learning Portuguese and baptizing like crazy. Uh, we would get letters from him in the mail. Anyways, during that time, I was I was going out teaching with the missionaries, but I, um, I I just put them on a pedestal. Still, I still felt like they were somehow more perfect than I was. Um, anyways, the bishop during the time uh, still working through this was about a three year period from coming home from Utah to to going on a mission. And the bishop felt inspired to tell me to pray for opposite gender attraction. And so I did. It was kind of weird because I was going on a mission soon, but felt inspired that helping or that would help with me living with another um, male for the next, you know, 24 7, 365 (laughs) or whatever. I did. I started praying for opposite sex attraction and I started noticing some other single women in the stake, uh, young single women. Um, I attempted to date a little bit prior to going. I I went on a few dates and it was easy to be around them. I could be myself to a point. Um, They knew I was leaving for a mission, but I but I noticed that attraction was growing a little bit. Um, Anyways, in. Uh, 2010, I was called to serve in the Ohio Cleveland mission. And just before I left, my family had moved to Susanville, California. My mom got a job over there at the prison. Um, so I moved in with my great aunt Shirley who lived next door to me. We had a, a good time together, but I still missed my family like crazy. I remember reading in one of my journals, um, I felt left behind and forgotten. Um, Anyways, I got my mission call. I was 22 years old at the time and still had SSA and was concerned and anxious about that. Um, But I left and the MTC was an amazing experience. I didn't feel any strong attractions. Um, I certainly noticed how attractive a lot of the elders were, but it was different. It It was, I looked at them more with admiration and with a Christ-like lens. Um, I I had a great MTC district with a group of great elders and sisters from Temple Square that were gonna serve on Temple Square. The devotionals and the power of that place was amazing. Nothing quite like it anywhere else in the world. Elders and sisters endowed with power of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I arrived in the mission, we had President Mark and Holly Peterson. I remember feeling I remember the feeling entering into the mission home. They invited us in with so much love. I had the opportunity to serve with many wonderful elders and sisters in Ohio. I realized everyone struggles with something and no one is perfect and we're all trying. I had uh, some wonderful companions throughout my mission. I learned a lot from, uh, from them while I was serving. And there were times on my mission where I felt like I was in the right place at the right time, and I would enter an area. I remember specifically one time in Worcester, Ohio, well, where I walked into the church building, and I, I felt like I had seen this building before, and I had never been to Ohio. And 
I just kind of had a thought, perhaps in the pre-mortal world, we get glimpses of possibilities that could happen in our life. And I had just fulfilled one of those possibilities and it was familiar. The experience of watching our investigators come into Christ and enter the waters of baptism was amazing. The first family I helped teach was the Kiefer family. After my mission, they invited me to join them at the Nauvoo Temple to witness their sealing. That's cool. It was a great experience. They had two children at the time, um, and they remember that experience. Um, there was one time mid-mission where I struggled a little bit. I felt like I was starting to become attracted to one of my companions. Um, but during that time, interviews were coming up with the mission president, and I requested an emergency transfer. I came out of my mission. I came out to my mission president at the time. We had a new mission president named Darwin Sorensen. He was such an amazing president, and he showed so much charity toward me. He told me that he loved me and to hang in there. Um, how brave I was to come out to him, and um, he didn't transfer me right away, but I was transferred to a new companion uh, on the next transfer cycle. And it was interesting. I was transferred to somebody who was opposite in every way. Mm. Um, anyways, I, I had a great experience on the mission and, uh, I served faithfully two years. Uh, when I returned home, I desired to, you know, have my own eternal family. I was writing to, um, Sylvia my first girlfriend through emails and letters throughout the mission. And my sister Brianna had suggested and invited Sylvia to join us at Thanksgiving dinner, literally days after I returned home and was released. I didn't think much about it. I just thought, sure, that'd be great to have more people there. You know, the more the merrier. Oh, Brandon, I was so naive again. Um, inviting your first girlfriend and longtime pen pal to Thanksgiving dinner was a commitment I didn't realize I was making. Uh, Sylvia and I dated off and on for the next month. I enjoyed being around her, but it was familiar to how we were as 16-year-olds. We planned to be together on our birthday. It was in December, just before Christmas. Things were just stagnant, and I still hadn't kissed her. I finally came out to her that night, and I ended up breaking up with her on her birthday. She even asked me if I was attracted to anybody else. And I told her I was thinking about talking to another girl at the branch named Elizabeth. Just really dumb. I, I like <clears throat> put my foot in my mouth and um, broke, her heart. broke her heart. I felt like I felt guilty about that for years uh, about breaking up with her on her birthday and then telling her who I might date next. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, after Years of not talking, I actually reached out to her on Facebook and apologized to her how insensitive I was. But anyways, um, Elizabeth came into the picture shortly after my mission. Uh, I got home in November and we started dating in February. Do you want to? Sure. So, um, yeah, I grew up in Reading area and... Um, I have an identical twin sister, um, and we went to the singles branch, which is more of a twig. Um, and this return missionary come, came home, 
and I actually thought he was dating somebody else. Um, and he, I hadn't talked to him before. It, w- it was February, I guess. So he'd been there for a few months and he came up to me and said, Hey, I, w- I should mention too, I was the gospel doctrine teacher, which is the worst calling ever in a young single adult branch because, um, despite what you may think, I was not popular in high school. So I had to teach all of my peers that I felt really insecure in, you know, teaching them. And anyway, I would study for hours. Um, I had that um, orange manual. It was Old Testament. The only year I didn't graduate from seminary, like there was, there was things lining up. Um, And so he came (laughs) over and asked me, Hey, can you do me a favor? And I was like, Oh, sure random dude um and he said can you wait like five seconds before you answer your own question and I was like oh sure um and I proceeded to complain about him to every single person I could possibly complain to I'm a hairstylist and so like I complained to all the girls at work I complained to my parents I complained to anybody I cut their hair that day like I was not liking Brandon. <laughs> that was February fourth. It was Valentine's Day coming up, and it was like it, the next day. Yeah, Valentine's Day was the next day. So I had planned to make um, Valentine's Day sugar cookies for actually all the girls on the branch, mm-hmm. and <laughs> but Elizabeth was the only girl that I had given an invitation to go out on a date with me, um, and. So anyway, she she got that invitation and we were like, oh, oh, he's not so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So going going on uh, dating, uh, it was definitely an interesting experience at at the time. I was seeing a therapist to help me get through some of my anxiety about uh, dating a woman and definitely worked some work through some of that. For the most part, it was just a leap of faith for me. She is the first woman I kissed, Elizabeth. After being on a date with her, I would awkwardly take off my glasses and just hope it happened. And uh, I didn't know what he was doing. But, but you know, <laughs> after three months of dating, I, I finally kissed her. Uh, well, before that, I came out to you yeah. and kind of told you, okay, this is what I'm so, this is why I'm so awkward. I just like, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm experiencing gender attraction. Um, and when I came out to her, she kind of was like, oh, I, I wondered what, like, what's going on? Right. And of course, I, like, now I'm like, dang it. I said all the wrong things. In fact, I think um, Ty Mansfield wrote an article, like, all the things you shouldn't do when someone comes out to you. And I checked every single darn box. Um, not that I was like negative, but I just like, I made him feel like, you know, he wasn't hiding it very well, obviously, if I wondered. Um, so yeah, I, it was interesting because I felt like I was prepared for Brandon. Um, I watched that show on TLC. My husband's not gay. Um, I think there was like two or three episodes And my takeaway was, so they're gay. Like, we're not calling it gay, but they're gay. Um, And anyway, it made me kind of, I don't know, had like a 
a moment of being like, what do I think about all this? Um, and I just came to the conclusion that like, you know, Heavenly Father loves them, loves them no matter if they're in the church or out of the church, no matter what path they take, like Heavenly Father loves them. And like Jesus understands all the, the hard stuff that they're dealing with. Um, and it was funny when we were dating because oh, I kept a journal um, and it's actually really funny to read now. Um, maybe a little bit sadder when I had, was writing it, <laughs> but we saw each other like literally every day. And I would write one day, oh, we had a great date. Like, I think he likes me. And then the next entry, I don't know what the heck we're doing. He hates me. Um, he would tell me like how he was going to propose to his future wife. And I was like, so that's not me. <laughs> um, and so anyway. I think I made a comment. I think I want to marry a return missionary. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's not me. Um, yeah. Anyways, I, I mean, definitely insensitive growing up. Um, but I do appreciate your honesty. <laughs> that was like one of the things, um, one of the many things that I loved about him was his brutal honesty. Even though it made me cry sometimes, I was like, he, I know he's not lying to me. <laughs> he's telling me the truth straight from the hip. <laughs> Um, so after he told me, um, about that he experienced same sex attraction, um, I prayed about moving forward and kind of what our future would look like. And I got a very strong, like, yes, like this is going to be okay. This is going to be great. And that, that we'd be blessed, like that, um, moving forward was the right thing to do and that he was a good man. And even if, uh, backstory, my parents are divorced. My We have a, a long history of man-hating um, men leaving in my family. So um, worst fear was that um, he'd leave me for another man and um, that I'd be all alone again. Um, and anyway, during that praying and thinking about it, like I just knew that no matter what happened, even if that was our future, um, that he would be a really good dad to our kids, and he is, um, and that he he was a good, he was worth the risk. <laughs> um, so we we talked about getting married. I actually asked her if she would say yes if I did ask her to get married. That's a good strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta make sure. Yeah, and you know we we kind of talked about that in writing. I remember being at that bench and. Uh, Turtle Bay yeah. Park. And we we both felt that being together was it was going to be better and easier together. So um, but she asked me to talk to her mom because her mom was the basically the she was the lady in charge. The lady in charge, the um father figure in her life, I guess. And so I did, and I at the time I was working around her, um, she'd helped me get a job at this health clinic in Reading. So we went out to, to lunch and uh, I remember asking for Elizabeth's hand in marriage. Um, and let's see, where's over here. So I met with Julie. She gave me all the questions on what to do or like basically like what do you plan on doing with your life what's your plan with school what's your career how do you plan to support elizabeth and the family 
And um, I, I really didn't know, <laughs> but I, I did know that I had a testimony of the gospel and of tithing and that no matter what happened, if we paid our tithing, we would just be just fine. And she was unimpressed. She was unimpressed, <laughs> although she couldn't, she had no argument with right. that. She had a testimony of tithing, so she was like, dang it. <laughs> but she definitely didn't say yes. Uh, she she didn't, but anyways, uh, we, we were moving forward. And there's a point where um, just getting our notes in order. (laughs) So we moved forward despite the uh, our family's concerns about getting married. It it was mainly her family's concern, Um, and and this was a hard time for her twin Molly because we had been spending every day together, and I didn't really understand that that connection. Um, in the beginning. And so, um, you know, I, I was taking Molly away from Elizabeth or I was taking Elizabeth, sorry, <laughs> reverse that. I was taking Elizabeth away from Molly right. a lot. And, um, that was, you know, her best friend growing up. Right. And I didn't tell her about Brandon's SSA or anything. And so like, that was probably the only thing I had never, like, I, I told her everything. Um, so that, that was like a bit of distance between us, which was really hard. So anyways, we, we got engaged in June, um, and we were married in August. Um, the, the day before our wedding, we call it the Thursday, the the terrible Thursday. Um, (laughs) there was a lot of drama, of course, going around when you're merging two families, it's, there's always going to be drama, uh, usually, but this was extra drama because her family had found out through another member of the branch that I was gay. And so there was a big intervention at her house. And when mm-hmm. we showed up, um, I remember <laughs> just this conference, this intervention for Elizabeth and this confrontation of, we know all about your gay tendencies, Brandon. And that was, that was shocking to me. Um, and, I was pretty upset and I, I was like, you don't know anything about me, but it turned out another member of the branch had told, tipped him off or something. Yeah. Um, so they, um, I think their biggest fear was that I didn't know. And so they said, they told me, and then it was worse because I was like, I know I prayed about it. Everything's going to be great. And, um, it's fine. I'm, I'm 20. I know exactly what I'm doing. And I'm going to marry Brandon and it's going to be fine. And that was like, they were so upset. Like they were just like, no, like you're, you're, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're signing up for. Um, and so they, they like had my wedding dress and they weren't going to give it to me. And they had my temple recommend and they weren't going to give it to me. Mm. And so Brandon came back with me and we got our things and, um, there was so many tears and it was a rough day. And I was like, please don't leave me at the altar. Um, I think in the end, I like initially going over to her house, I was going to drive her to the temple the next day. Right. Um, with That was our mindset. We're getting married. We're going to drive ourselves to the temple. However, um, in the end, 
uh, we worked it out and I drove with my great aunt Shirley and, and she drove with her family and it was, it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, the wedding went off with, without a hitch. It was fine. And it was a beautiful day, a sunny day. We got married in Oakland Temple, California, just like our parents. Yeah. Um, however, the first year was hard. Um, and just like learning to communicate as a couple and um, kind of going from that single life to married life. Um, I keep going. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, my family still was having a hard time with Brandon. And they just felt like his SSA was like this insurmountable obstacle that like it wasn't going to go away. And they were just kind of waiting for him to be like, this is too much and leave. Um, and so anyway, it was good. We ended up moving to Sacramento, which is like two and a half hours away. Um, and it was, I don't know, I recommend it to anyone who gets married, move away from your families. <laughs> um, we had to rely on each other. We both worked full time and um, I don't know, it was just, it was a really big growth time for our relationship. I think we did some therapy while we were down there through LDS Family Services, um, mostly trying to work through my family drama and, um, and we, if, yeah. We ended up um, becoming pregnant with our first daughter um, I guess shortly, I guess within a year of being married. And uh, we, that, that was a big, you know, next step in our lives. And uh, we had come up with a birth plan where Molly and Julie, her mom, were not going to be there in the delivery room. Right. Um, and I, when it came down to it, though, Elizabeth was needing her mom. And I, I saw that last minute in the delivery room and I just lowered my pride and let them in to support us. And after Audrey was born, I remember placing my hand on Julie's knee and just thanking her for staying and being there for us. And I think that was a turning point for Julie and Molly. They saw the strength of our relationship and that I wasn't just going to run away um, when it got hard. Um, so Elizabeth and Audrey were discharged from the hospital a couple days after that. And uh, Julie had stocked our fridge with tons of food. I mean, talk about a peace offering. I was like so like happy and just grateful that she was there. Um, and seriously, they love him now more than they love me. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Uh, I, and I think too, like seeing the change of heart of like my mom from where she was like, you know, pretty anti-LGBT, anything like just very close-minded and like, not open at all um, like she has like her love for Brandon has grown and because of that like and and the love that I have for Brandon like I feel like she has um multiplied that like to other people and she was she's a wonderful person she helps the homeless and and people who are addicted to drugs and all that kind of stuff but I feel like she just expanded her um her love, her love. acceptance of others. Yeah. Um, a few, I guess after a year or so being in Sacramento, I got a promotion, an opportunity to be promoted. So we moved to Dallas, Texas, 
Um, we were there for 365 days, <laughs> which is how long I was contractually obligated to stay. Um, we loved like the people in Texas. They were very kind. And the, the just the employer that I was with, it was just a hard place to be at, at my job. Um, but during that time, I actually kind of got introduced to a group called North Star and a few members actually in North Star came and reached out to me in Dallas and they came over to our apartment. And that was like a really nice, tender blessing, tender mercy, uh, where they were reaching out, connecting with me, just trying to figure out our story. If we were out, what were like, just, just being Christ-like, you know? Um, and that was really helpful for me. And, and over the next few years, uh, we were able to attend North Star conferences and that was really, uh, healing. And to some degree, we felt pretty proud of ourselves for like figuring it out. Yeah. Figuring it out, (laughs) um, in this, this intersection. Um, our next move took us to Palm Springs, California, and we were expecting our second child. Elizabeth was actually 36 weeks pregnant when we moved there. Um, we bought our first house in Desert Hot Springs. Uh, that was a healing location for me because I was able to relax a little bit. Um, there's a big uh, LGBT community down there, and I became with friends with a few members in the community, and I was able to be myself more. Um, it was a small ward that grew exponentially in the wintertime uh, due to uh, winter snowbirds basically coming down from Canada. And we were both called to a lot of callings in the, in the ward. I became, I was actually invited to be a member of the bishopric and my dad came down and ordained me a, a high priest. Cool. Uh, that was really special. We lived in Palm Springs for four years, had two children there, Lucy and Bennett. And on Bennett's baby blessing, um, I asked my dad to come and, and do that for him. And uh, I I just, at, at that point, I wasn't feeling super spiritually strong. Um, I kind of talked about that a lot through our marriage, just, you know, where I'm at and just communicating um kind of what I need from Elizabeth, which really helped us. Um, and anyways, my bat, my dad came down, helped with the blessing. Shortly after that, he was diagnosed with stage four uh, brain cancer. Wow. And I was commuting back and forth every week to go and help him. He was diagnosed around Thanksgiving and passed away in February, 2018. Um, that was a, a hard time for us, but, um, and, and down there, I, I kind of wanted to change. And so we decided to go closer to, uh, Elizabeth's family. Uh, we moved to Redding, California, or we moved to Medford, uh, closer to Redding. And, um, we, ex- we lived here for about five years. Um, we had our fourth child, Eleanor, here. She's now three years old. And again, like we mentioned earlier, pregnant with twins. Um, our road hasn't been an easy one by any means. Um, but with any healthy marriage, we've worked to communicate our needs to each other and strengthen each other. Um, that North Star Conference was definitely helpful when we've gone. We've gone 
probably six or seven times. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so that's pretty much our story. This is a really brave of you. I'm just so deeply moved. Every story is so different. Listeners, when I start a podcast like this, I think it's going to be like this episode that we've done or this episode. And then I'm going to slapped in the face and go, this is a completely different story with beautiful insights, thoughtful experiences, navigating complicated things. And um, there's a bunch of people that have just been helped by hearing your story. You're both really brave. This is just a beautiful love story. Thank you. Here's some of the things I wrote down, listeners. There's like eight things I wrote down. Um, I loved, these are sort of chronologically, you shared them. I loved um, that you had this sort of intuitiveness to be able to separate um, the gospel, which you believed in, from the difficult, painful things culturally were being said about gay people. And that was something you, there's no Sunday school lesson to teach you that. <laughs> but you just had something, maybe just your spiritual maturity that came from the pre-earth life to kind of be able to separate that. I love the cultural expectations that I wish were a little broader, that here you are making cookies, which is pretty innocent, and just you have a talent. We're taught to magnify our talents. I think there's um, a lot of scriptures to that. You're just magnifying your talents, and and our culture sometimes shames people for magnifying talents that don't fit in the gender norms. There's lots of straight men that want to make cookies and deliver them to their neighbors. There's gay men that want to make cookies and deliver them to their neighbors, but just sort of pin that as a non-masculine behavior, probably in a lot of cultures that's not seen that way. Um, right. So it's just an invitation to, my my kids are really good at this. My married daughter in particular of just um, trying to let her kids um, talent shine and not um, create a culture that would mute some of um, these would be our grandkids' talents. I am struck by the lack of resources there were for you. Um, and you've been on a journey for roughly 15, 20 years, but I just wrote down there were no resources for Brandon. So here he is Googling the internet. That kind of gets you in. Um, you're honest about some pornography use. Um, but, you know, I just, this is where I think we are doing better as a church, but we can continue to do better is just create resources. You've got an email group. Um, you finally meet somebody, but there's a big age difference there. Sounds like the Logan group was somewhat supportive and North Star, as you share later, is extremely supportive. But I just, that's why I'm grateful for this is a resource, listeners. There are people, you know, walking this road that are the, the Brandons of, you know, age 15, 16, 17, listening to your story right now. And it's just helping them not feel alone, that there's hope, that there's principles you're both sharing to navigate our way forward. So I pray that we'll continue to develop resources. I pray that this is a topic that's talked about consistently at church. It makes it into our Come Follow Me curriculum to talk about, you're both nodding your heads, (laughs) to talk about how LGBTQ people are our own people. And this is how we love and support them. And there's no room in, you know, as a disciple of Jesus Christ for jokes or unkind comments about this group of people. I love that you had the guts to come out to Elizabeth. I, I love your mission and just wondering how this is going to work. Um, 
that's another thing is you were pretty brave to be out to your bishops. Um, you were pretty courageous to talk to multiple people about who you are. And um, I just, I, there's a brave part of you that just, even though I don't know anybody else walking this road, I'm willing to talk to people. I love your mission. I love that you were a little concerned about having a crush and how that would navigate that. But you just bravely went forward. And it sounds like you had a little bit of a crush there and came out to your mission prison. And it seems like most of your church leaders, especially as they get more experience, your one bishop had no experience and got you at least a Logan for that support group. But it sounds like your priest leaders are getting better along the way, including that mission president. And he just loved you. I love that you came out to Elizabeth. Um, I just, you know, in, in the first book I wrote, I encourage people in the dating process to come out. And then I love that Elizabeth prayed. She could have gone to her friend and said, what do I do? And maybe that's okay. Or mom, what do I do? Um, or the internet, what did I do? But I love Elizabeth prayed. And I love Elizabeth. It's, you know, that's, that's what we teach, hear him. And I love that you got personal revelation that you should marry Brandon. And I just, this is just a beautiful love story. Um, the intervention is a story I've never heard before. <laughs> On the day before a wedding of two people that have temple recommends in hand, ready to be married the way we hope it will happen in our church. And, uh, you know, and this has turned out to be um, solvable. You went ahead and got married and now any of those relationships seems like they've been rebuilt. Um, but that's pretty painful. I just can't imagine um, how painful that was for both of you. I guess I'm, I'm more tenderhearted for you, Brandon, because this is who you are. And you had the courage to come out to Elizabeth. And then you're sort of discovered and somebody feels like they're doing the right thing by making everybody aware of who you are. And that's just not our role. Our role is to support people as they get personal revelation for their path. And um, maybe families then get concerned, but I just love that you navigated that. I mean, there's no owner's manual. There was no elders quorum lesson or priest lesson. What do you do? <laughs> and I, you just continue right. to write your own story with Jesus, just what we're taught. And I love that you went ahead and got married. And then course i i think julie's your mom elizabeth is that right yeah that's right i love that on this first baby in the in the healing there's a lot of healing in this story you've mentioned okay. you use that word both of you've used that word a couple times um that was really healing in that delivery room um with your family being invited and them seeing this just beautiful couple you are and now you have kids coming in and you're willing to um, reopen that door and re be willing to rebuild that relationship, even though you needed some time. And I love that your mom, Julie, is one of your biggest supporters. And I love that you love, joke, Elizabeth, says, Julie likes him more than she likes me. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got a dad that gets brain cancer and passes away that I sense you really love. And um, I love how you found healing in North Star and you found other couples walking the same road. And there's so much a need for community. I love North Star. I love the spirit there. I love what it does. Um, and I've also wrote down just, I wrote down little, I guess my last thing I wrote down, listeners, was healthy marriage. And I've wondered if sometimes couples in mixed orientation marriage, especially 
I don't want to, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a researcher in this space, but the thought came to my mind is you have developed skills within your marriage to be able to talk about real stuff. And, and sometimes a therapist helps us do that. And you've been open to therapy, but I think you have this, you kind of mentioned it as, you know, we've learned how to communicate. And I think that's, I don't want to say, you know, straight marriage. My wife and I communicate really well, and we have a good, healthy marriage. And but I think there's, you know, it, you just have to work harder and you've worked harder from day one. And I think that gives you a foundation to continue to have a really healthy marriage. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that um, that we kind of first had to overcome was his, because he had so much shame built up around everything, like him being comfortable talking about it out loud, like to me. <laughs> and once. I feel like he knew I was a safe person. He could tell me anything and I wasn't going to get mad or leave or, um, you know, it wasn't about me. Um, and, and that was one of the, one of her gifts, um, is forgiveness. Um, I, I've certainly made mistakes along the way, but her, her superpower has been, <laughs> you know, I understand that you're struggling with this and I forgive you for anything that, you know, any trust issues, um, just me being afraid to come to her in the beginning of our marriage. And I quickly learned that if I told her I was struggling, the struggle went away. That's great. I love that you had your dad bless the baby in there and you didn't quite feel, I, you know, I think you kind of said it was, didn't quite right, right for me to do that where I was. And and I love that your dad, who's since passed away, did that. I just, you know, and you're navigating like a lot of really wonderful Latter-day Saints, just different times in our faith where we're just in different spots in our spiritual journey. And I think that's okay. Elizabeth, um, you know, it sounds like you prayed first before you asked everybody's advice on mending Brandon. And maybe you didn't even talk to anybody about the fact that Brandon, which is maybe good. It's not really something you need to share. Just do you have yeah. advice for other couple, other, you know, the straight, give straight spouse advice, I guess, is yeah. for either couples yeah. that are dating and learning right. this or couples that are walking your road? Yeah. So um, I would say 99% of the time, my tendency is to talk to people about what they think and get opinions. But in this particular instance, I did not. I was like, this is something that I need to decide for myself. And I just, I went and prayed um, and I didn't talk to anybody. I think the only person I talked to was our branch president. Um, and he um, was very supportive. Um, I, t I told him like, I think did we go together. I think we talked to him together, um, you know, telling him that we were going to get married and, um, and he was very supportive, very, um, he was, sweet and was just like I can see that working out very well and um I think that's the only person we really talked to about it yep. um I didn't talk to anybody else <laughs> um but I think the biggest thing is like there are so many things that I love about Brandon and um he is so hard on himself and I just wanted I just didn't want him to be alone anymore I wanted him to know that he was loved and um it was just, it was an easy choice. Like I wasn't giving anything up. 
Um, so I don't know. I hope I hope it helps to hear our story. The and I feel lucky. I um, yeah. We we kind of are amazing, you know. And <laughs> we um, I don't know. We just keep getting better. <laughs> no, just working towards that completion. <laughs> I love your line, Elizabeth. I wasn't giving anything up by marrying Brandon. In fact, I was it's just the opposite. And I feel that very strongly. I think listeners, I'm guilty of sort of like from my limited experiences with different situations. When a situation comes up, I'm quick to give advice and quick to and I think we do better when we just let people this sort of happened to me a little bit in my YSA service. The YSAs wanted me to answer all the questions of their life, school, who they should date, if they should get married, when they should go to the temple. And um, I, the more I listened to my priesthood leaders teach me how to be a better YSA bishop, the more I didn't answer those questions. Um, the more I felt my job was to, to, to lay a set of principles out for the YSAs to get personal revelation for them. And um, then they owned their decision. And often uh, the revelation they got would be a little different than maybe my natural intuition or my, my limited experience in the decision that they were coming to me for. And I might have a bias, a hidden bias towards maybe my academic path or my whatever. And I just think we, and obviously that intervention was, you know, a, a really good example of that where our experience was this is a bad idea and we are doing the right thing. And I think we just have to um, really honor the hear him and personal revelation is personal revelation. And we don't have the ability through our personal revelation to judge other people's personal revelation. I love that once you're branch president, because a branch president or a bishop or a local leader can often be helpful, especially if they're just trying to understand a situation and help you make a better decision. Um, so you've done kind of all the right things, but I think that's just a thought, listeners. Even as a parent, you know, I, as our kids have aged up and have chose different careers, I've tried to really let our kids shine the way that with gifts and attributes that I probably don't fully see or understand at this point. Um, versus chart out a course for them that I think is the best course for them. So, you know, obviously we always invite people to follow church teachings and stuff like that. But for a lot of their life decisions under that umbrella, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, one of the things we do on these podcasts, and there's a couple of podcasts kind of around you, are some couples whose mixed orientation marriage has ended. And so we do a range you're aware of those stories. There's probably been North Star couples that, um, and so I don't know if those are triggering to hear those stories or you're just at a piece that, you know, straight marriages fail sometimes, mixed orientation marriages fail sometimes. We're just going to kind of not pay attention to the noise of that and the reality of that and just focus on what we can do, which is our marriage and making that work because we both have a goal to make that work. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that sort of complicated space. Yeah, I um, I actually had a few friends. Um, I mean, I still consider them friends. And um, when when I would see um, that happen, 
in the beginning, I, I mourned, you know, I was, it was, it was hard for me to see that, you know, I, I felt like, um, we're, we're trying, we're, we're making this work. Like it, it was just, I didn't understand. Uh, but I've, I've come, I feel like I've grown to the point of, um, we don't know everything that happened in those situations, those marriages, and uh, all we are asked to do, or we we should do, is just love them and um, you know support with love. Right, and I think same. Like I, I think it used to be triggering, but um, we, I think one of the Norster classes, um, Ty Manfield wife. I think maybe they did it together. I can't remember. But the basics of it is that their story is not our story. And so, you know, like we love them and we want to support them as best as we can. Um, But their their marriage ending doesn't take away from ours being together or, you know, vice versa. Um, And so we just got to live our story. That's a great answer. I figured you'd have a pretty good answer on that. It's a tender question, but I'm sure you've talked about it. And I just love that. I think that's great. And I think that's healthy for listeners that are in mixed orientation marriages and are aware that some of those fail, but it doesn't need to be their story. And I think communication, I love even you said at one point I skipped over this. It was number seven on my list, but you said it allowed me to be yourself more. And I think you were in a area, Brandon, there was just more LGBTQ people. And that, I don't know if that was nervous for Elizabeth that we were in a community where there's just more LGBTQ people. So I'm more likely to lose Brandon, or if it just allowed Brandon to just be at more piece of who he is. So he's losing the shame and the self-loathing and just can be Brandon. And, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Brandon was very concerned about moving there. Um, and I, I mean, I like, I had thoughts, but I was like, oh, it'll be okay. Um, I, I quickly gained a testimony of, I, I mentioned, I, I gained a couple of friends and one of my friends actually took me to West Hollywood one time and, um, just kind of ex, like exposed me to the gay experience, you know, um, which I was supportive of him going just quickly. And I, the, the biggest thing I felt during that time was I missed my family. I missed Elizabeth. I missed the kids. And I felt this is exactly um, where I shouldn't be right now. And um, just my, me personally in my life. Um, and, but it was, it was good to see the contrast of what I had chosen and what I could have chosen, if that makes sense. I think that does make sense. And I love that Elizabeth knew where you were going. Yeah. And that, yeah. to me, is an insight into the open communication, the trust. And listeners, I mean, straight marriages, you have to have boundaries. So at times, you know, straight people or others around other straight people, um, right that are opposite sex and you just have to have boundaries. So I think it's just a normal thing at times that you're going to be around LGBTQ, both of you and just have boundaries. I'm not, I'm sort of being marriage counselor now, which is out of my pay grade, but I'm just thinking that you just have boundaries and you have communication. And 
um, let's don't undo burdens, mixed orientation marriages that you like, you can't even talk to another LGBTQ person, Brandon, cause you're going to, you know, whatever, you're going to fall off the deep end and we're going to lose you. I think a better approach is just to be at peace with who you are, um, commitment to your marriage and, and be comfortable around straight people and LGBTQ people yeah. and just not sort of, I think if you just normalize that the way you've done your own orientation and others, I think you're just more at peace and can just be in a pluralistic world with lots of diversity and be committed. So that's sort of my take on that. Other thoughts that come to your mind you want to share? I'd love Brandon to say what you'd say to your younger self, your, you know, your high school age self and you know, that's if you're mid thirties, if I do the math, that's almost 20 years ago ish, yeah, you yeah. know, and talk to your younger self or wherever um, you want to talk. It's your time. Yeah. I, I guess what I would say to my younger self is, um, just study more, study the scriptures more and like, uh, just understand if I was to understand the atonement a little sooner, I feel like I, I wouldn't have been so hard on myself. I wouldn't have not partaken of the sacrament for two years just because I felt like I was unworthy. Um, wow. And just kind of understood that was there to help us weekly. Right. And I do think, I mean, a lot of your, the messages that you heard growing up was that you're a terrible person and you're going to hell, like not you specifically, but anyone that experiences any of those things and or chose that lifestyle. Right. Exactly. Um, I don't know. I would just give Brandon a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> he has, I don't know. Every time he tells me something from when he was younger, I'm like, Brandon. Um, but I mean, I feel like heavenly father placed specific people in my path, um, gave me the tools that I needed. Yeah to navigate this, whether it be personal revelation or just really inspiring leaders. Yeah. And I, I think I struck, I, I won the lottery on church leaders, really, just because every leader um, was just supportive and they didn't tell me, you know, give me your temple recommend just for experiencing this or anything yeah. like that. It was always like, okay, we'll work through this. It's okay. You're, you're just, no, right. human, yeah. and you're a son of God. Yeah. Um, thank you for sh anything else you'd like to share. I don't think so. No, I I guess just we're grateful that we're able to come on and share our story. Um, this has definitely been a a really good experience. I love that we started with a prayer. We invited the spirit. Um, and I hope listeners will feel that um, in their, their life listening to this. Thank you. Um, you're just remarkable people. Helping us to create Zion. You have a beautiful marriage. You have wonderful kids. You have wonderful gifts to raise these kids. They have great life being in your home. You won't be perfect parents. We're not perfect parents, but you are terrific parents. And some of the um, 
principles and skills and gifts of communication, openability, open and vulnerability will it probably already are as you've got kids approaching teenage years. Some of your paydays as parents will be some of the principles you've been able to learn and um, that will help you just be better parents. So um, I'm going to do your last name correctly. Cardenas. No, Cardenas. You're laughing at me. <laughs> no. Cardenas. Uh, yep. We yep. accept all all pronunciations, really. We... C-A-R-D-E-N-E-Z. A-Z. A-Z. Yep. Okay, we got to spell that right. Anyway. Um, so Brandon, Elizabeth, um, just a great job. It's an honor to have you on the podcast and feel the spirit that's here. And um, this is Richard Osler signing off on another episode. <laughs>